Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 441. It's titled, What if Social Security had been privatized? In 2005, Congressional Representative Paul Ryan and Senator John Sununu proposed a plan to reform Social Security. The act was the Social Security Personal Savings Guarantee and Prosperity Act. Under their plan, it would establish voluntary individual accounts for workers who were under the age of 55, beginning on January 1st, 2006. These personal savings accounts would allow the workers to allocate a portion of the Social Security taxes to an investment account. It would be controlled by a central administrative authority, but the workers would be able to choose various investment options with the default option being 65% in a broad U.S. equity index fund and 35% in a broad corporate bond index fund. All participating workers in these personal savings accounts would be guaranteed that their total benefits for Social Security would at least be as good as what was already in place. And if their investment accounts did better than that, then they would get more than that. In other words, there was a floor, a guarantee. Sign me up for that. If I can get all the, keep all the upside and have none of the downside, I'd do it. Interestingly, those who chose not to participate in the personal savings accounts would not be guaranteed their benefits at the levels that was there in 2006. In other words, if Congress cut benefits, if you weren't participating in the personal savings accounts, then there is the risk of your benefit being cut. The program also required that when it came time to take Social Security, that the balanced in the personal savings accounts would be annuitized so that the annuity payments would equal what, at least what would have been gotten under Social Security. Keep in mind, Social Security benefits are indexed to inflation. And so the annuity, the annuitization would need to be an an annuity that would increase as the cost of living increased. In 2005, Federal Reserve Chair Alan Greenspan was testifying in front of Congress, and Representative Ryan asked him a question in regards to these personal savings accounts and the reform of Social Security. Ryan asked Greenspan, do you believe the personal retirement accounts can help us achieve solvency for the Social Security system and make those future retirement benefits more secure? Greenspan replied, well, I wouldn't say the pay-as-you-go benefits are insecure. 
in the sense that there's nothing to prevent the federal government from creating as much money as it wants and paying it to somebody. In other words, the Social Security system, in his mind, wasn't insecure because the money could always be printed to pay the benefits. But he didn't stop there, fortunately. He continued, the question is, how do you set up a system which assures that real assets are created, which those benefits are employed to purchase? So it's not a question of security, it's a question of the structure of a financial system, which assures that the real resources are created for retirement as distinct from the cash. The cash itself is nice to have, but it's got to be in the context of the real resources being created at the time those benefits are paid so that you can purchase real resources with the benefits. What he's referring to is the need for a dynamic economy comprised of workers and businesses that produce goods and services, those real resources that retirees can purchase. We know that money can be printed out of thin air, but if there's nothing to buy, that's not very useful. I shared this exchange between Paul Ryan and Alan Greenspan in episode one of Money for the Rest of Us that was released in May 2014. I completely forgot about it, but this past week I got an email from a brand new listener to the podcast that started with episode one. Heard me share this exchange between Ryan and Greenspan, and this listener wrote, You seem to think that Greenspan's response to Senator Ryan was good that the government cannot run out of money. If so, then why invest at all? Why not let the government handle all of our retirement? My 401k is seriously outperforming my Social Security, so I'm having trouble understanding. Greenspan gave the answer, why invest at all? We need real resources produced by the private sector so that we have goods and services. As the private sector produces real resources, That's what leads to economic growth, the increase in gross domestic product. GDP, gross domestic product, is the value of those goods and services produced. So as an economy produces more goods and services, the economy grows. And as the economy grows, the businesses producing those goods and services grow also. They get bigger. They hire more employees. Their profits increase. As investors, we receive a share of those corporate profits if we own common stocks. And that share of corporate profits is known as dividends. Dividends grow as corporate profits grow. And we've broken down on the podcast and we do it in in great depth on Asset Camp, deconstruct 10-year returns for stocks into the drivers. And the first driver is the dividends. Over the past decade, Global stocks have had an average dividend yield, the dividend payments divided by the price, that dividend yields 2.4%. So 2.4% of the annual return over the past decade has been contributed by dividends. Another 5.5% per year was earnings growth. Profits growing, dividends growing combined, that led to a return of 7.9% for global stocks. For U.S. stocks, the average dividend was lower, 1.9%. But the earnings growth was higher at 6.9%. And so combining those two, we get an 8.8% annualized return for U.S. stocks compared to 7.9% for global stocks, which includes U.S. and non-U.S. Those numbers don't include changes in valuations, the fact that investors 
have been willing to pay more for U.S. stocks today versus a decade ago. That contributed another 3% or so to U.S. stock returns, which is why U.S. stocks have had double-digit returns over the decade. But we're just isolating the main long-term drivers that are tied to the economy, the growth of dividends, the cash flow paid in the form of dividends, and how that cash flow grows over time as earnings grow. We invest to participate in that process. That's why we own common stocks. We can also own corporate bonds, which is debt issued by these companies. We receive interest income and we get the principal back. And companies borrow money and they issue shares of stocks in order to invest in projects, projects to expand their business, create new products, to increase their productivity by implementing new technologies. That's the dynamic private economy that supports a public pension system like Social Security. That Social Security's Reform Act of 2005 never went anywhere. But I was curious. This listener mentioned that their 401k, their employer-sponsored defined contribution plan, is significantly outperforming Social Security. But what if we actually got those personal savings accounts and started in 2006 and had them today? How much would they have grown by? And would that have been better? Would we be better off versus just the way Social Security was in terms of the benefits received? I went and did the analysis. I assumed that the individual was 54 years old. You had to be under the age of 55 to to participate. And we went from January 1st, 2006 through the end of 2022. 16 years, the worker started at 54. And so by the end of that period, end of 2022, you would have been 70 and then retired and be able to collect the benefits. We want to compare those benefits under the private savings account system versus the social security system in place. 65% U.S. stocks then represented by the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index ETF, VTI. 35% U.S. corporate bonds as represented by the iShares iBox investment grade corporate bond ETF. We'll assume that the individual has a starting salary in 2006 of 90,000. That was the maximum taxable amount for Social Security benefits. So if you earned above that in 2006, you weren't taxed on that. And that was the max that could be contributed. So according to this Reform Act, an individual could put 5% of the first $10,000 that they earned toward these personal savings accounts and 2.5% of the rest up to $90,000. Beginning in 2016, the program was adjusted to where the participant could allocate 10% of the first $10,000 that had been indexed by inflation. So by 2016, it would be 10% of the first $12,000. And then 5% above that $12,000 up to the cap, which would have been around $107,000 after indexing it for inflation. I went and did a spreadsheet, and each year there was more that could be allocated. I adjusted for the changes in 2016. And over that period, from January 1st, 2006, through December 31st, 2022, That balanced account, 65% stocks, 35% bonds, returned 7.5% annualized. VTI, the Vanguard's total stock market ETF, returned 8.9% annualized. 
and the iShares iBoxing Investment Grade Corporate Bond ETF LQD returned 3.9% annualized. A participant in that plan that contributed to the max that was available would have seen their personal savings account at $131,574 16 years later when they turned 70. If they then went out and bought an annuity that was indexed to inflation and contributed, this is an immediate annuity, income for life, they would get $700 per month in their first year and then it could be indexed for inflation and I used a 3% inflation assumption. $700. $8,400 a year. Now that's not going to be enough to live on. The question is, what would that worker have gotten had they stayed with the traditional social security? Now we have to make some adjustments because we want to know what a worker would receive who contributed the same amount in social security taxes as the other worker sent to the personal savings account. And because the tax rate on Social Security is 12.4%. We're basically coming up with a lower income number, a pay number, to just so we're comparing apples and apples. And if we do that apple to apple comparison, Social Security would pay out $1,569 per month. So more than double what the worker would have got from the personal savings account. I use the Social Security benefits calculator. Each year, I put in as the earnings for Social Security the amount that would have gone into that personal savings account each year from a worker participating in that. And again, the annuity payout of that $131,000 was $700 per month indexed to inflation, but the Social Security benefits would have been $1,569. Social Security is a very, very good deal. And people are highly dependent on Social Security. One out of every five individuals in the U.S. collects Social Security. Four out of five are retirees, older adults. And one-fifth are beneficiaries under the Social Security Disability Insurance portion. Or their children who had a parent pass away. The benefits are solid. Not as solid as other countries. A median benefit, annual benefit on Social Security, is $24,463 per year. That's someone retiring at age 65. If you retire at 70, you get significantly more than that. It pays to wait to take Social Security until you're 70 because the rate of return, the additional amount you receive, is very high if you, if you wait, if you delay taking it. A high income earner, would receive $32,345 per year in Social Security if they retired today at age 65. And the maximum is just under $40,000. Based on their Social Security payout, the average worker replaces 37% of their past earnings in their Social Security benefits. So only 37% of really their last few years of income. We can compare that with other public pension plans. Denmark, it's 80%. Recipients receive, through the Denmark version of Social Security, 80%. The average for developed countries is 52%. The U.S. is way low when it comes to Social Security relative to other nations. I was surprised 
that the U.S. was so low that it only covers 37%. And traditionally, the rest was covered by defined benefit pension plans, but now only 15% of U.S. workers participate or have access to a defined benefit pension plan. Most participate in a defined, or at least have access to a defined contribution plan, which is set up to replace the pension plans, but they've fallen way short in doing that. I'll get to that in a moment. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. My first email outside of work was a Yahoo email address. But the financial side, I've used on occasion primarily to get data for dividend histories for particular funds or ETFs. But I was pleasantly surprised to get back on Yahoo Finance to see how it's evolved over the years. Now it's really a financial dashboard where you can get an understanding of what's going on with the markets. There are relevant articles from Bloomberg, Reuters, the Associated Press, and the Yahoo Finance team. You can look at the economic events calendar and see which data series are being released that day and what the consensus is. You can see the pulse of the markets at any time by going to Yahoo Finance. In addition, you could see all of your investments in retirement accounts in one place. With Yahoo Finance, you get a consolidated view of multiple accounts. Yahoo Finance serves as a financial hub for your retirement accounts, but also comprehensive financial news and analysis. You need to check out Yahoo Finance, particularly if you haven't been there in a while. Check it out at yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com David. That's M-O-N. A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. I looked at a study that, that showed other nations that had adopted and converted from their public social security system to more of a privatized system. And a lot of this was in Latin America, and oftentimes it was because the public system was in such a disarray. But this academic study showed that on average, when these reforms were put in place, many in in the early 80s, they promised that they would pay 70% of the end-of-life salary before the workers retired. But the average across those systems that have been privatized has been 40%. That's actually higher than what individuals on Social Security on average get. That's 37%. But the public systems, 
continue to get 65%. So under privatizing aspects of Social Security, the benefits were less and the number of people accessing it was less. Only 28% of the workers that could participate in the private system did so, whereas the public system covered around 60% of workers. Again, Social Security is incredibly important for most retirees in the U.S. If we exclude Social Security benefits for older adults, 38% would be in poverty. But with Social Security, only 10% are in poverty. I mentioned that 15% of workers have access to a defined benefit plan. Very low. So they're dependent on their 401k and Social Security. But only 60 million Americans contribute to a 401k. Even though 68% of employed Americans have access to one. Most workers that have access to a 401k are not participating. And then if we look at the average balances, and I'm just focused on those that are retirement age, age 65 to 70, the average 401k balance is $186,000. And the median is $43,000. If we take that $185,000 and purchase an annuity with it, one that's not indexed to inflation, it would generate $13,300 per year. That's if the annuity is not indexed to inflation. If it's indexed to inflation, a $185,000 401k balance that's rolled over into annuity would pay $10,080 per year, assuming 3% cost of living adjustment. That's if it's annuitized. If we use the 4% rule, where the retiree collects 4% or spends 4% of the starting year balance, 4% of the $185,000, and then annually increases it by the rate of inflation, it's only $7,400 per year. Given the shortfall of most retirees in their 401k plan through a combination of earnings, but often just moving in and out, chasing returns, not taking sufficient risk, focusing more on bonds, not having the high enough allocation to stocks during the accumulation phase. They don't have much money and they need Social Security, as do workers throughout the world. They're highly dependent on these public pension schemes. Surprisingly, though, given how important and beneficial an indexed annuity can be, in the case of that's essentially what Social Security is, when Participants in private defined benefit plans, pension plans, are asked whether they would prefer to have a defined contribution plan instead of 401k. 89%, according to the study I saw, said, yeah, freeze our defined benefit plan, we'll take a defined contribution plan. They wanted a percent of their salary, but on average, as long as the employer was putting 10% of their salary into a defined contribution plan, Instead of the pension, they were, they were content. It's no wonder that only 15% of workers have access to a defined benefit plan, but they're incredibly powerful because of the pooling effect and the professional money management. Believe me, pension plans are not moving in and out of the market, chasing returns in most cases. They're more disciplined than individual investors. They can often invest at lower fees. And because of the pooling effect, they can pay more just like the social security system does versus whether it had been in these personal savings accounts. Now, again, that was just one plan back in 2005 that never got implemented. 
and I'm glad it didn't. Now, there's a lot of news about Social Security. Well, maybe it's going to run out of money. The trust fund, the, that sort of accounting gimmick that was there, that there was this money over the years that was put into a trust fund, basically an accounting entry that took the tax revenue from Social Security, was taken, and then they bought treasury bonds with it. That trust fund will run out of money. But Social Security has primarily been pay-as-you-go. There's been a surplus, and then a surplus was used basically to fund the deficit, the federal deficit, because the surplus was used to buy government bonds, which were sold to fund the deficit. Just one big pot of money, but there is different accounting allocations. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that over the next 74 years, that currently Social Security pays 5% of gross domestic product. So GDP, the size of the U.S. economy, the value of what's produced in goods and services, the real resources, Social Security costs 5% of that. And by 2096, it will cost 7% of GDP. Clearly, there's a lot of assumptions under that. Revenue would remain about the same based on the current system. So revenues make up 4.6% of GDP, and it's expected to be 4.6% in 2096. So the gap between the revenue received in taxes and what's paid out in benefits is growing over time. But as a percent of the economy, it's not huge. The actuarial deficit is 1.7% of GDP or they estimate just around 4.9% of payroll. And so if payroll taxes were raised 4.9%, then there wouldn't be a deficit anymore, and, and Social Security would be on sound footing. This is a program that could be re- reformed. It could have higher taxes. Maybe they can make some adjustments to benefits, perhaps for higher income workers. It could raise the cap. But the challenges aren't that difficult. And that's why I'm highly confident Social Security will never go away. It is too important for retirees, current retirees, and future retirees because, by and large, they're not saving enough, and they need to depend on Social Security. One of the things that's happening in the U.S. and many other countries, though, is the population is aging, and we've done episodes on that. I saw one academic study that that looked at data going back to 1870. Sure enough, they found that as a population ages within an economy, that it leads to lower growth rates in output, not as much as produced, and the growth of that production and the consumption isn't enough because people are getting older. So that can be a drag on the economy, the GDP. Another study I saw showed, though, that as human capital increases, the learning, smarter workers that also get health benefits. The, the nation invests in the health of its workers and the workers are getting smarter, that that increases productivity. Output is increased as there's more workers and those workers get more productive. And it, those workers can be more productive as they get smarter, as they get more education and as they have good health. And higher human capital can help the drag from an aging population. We sometimes hear about the the dependency ratio. Well, there's not enough workers to support the retirees. And the reality is the, the, the workers are not supporting the retirees with money. We know that the government can create the money. The workers are supporting retirees by producing goods and services that the retirees can consume. And as long as productivity remains high, 
and there's investments in human capital, and there's a dynamic growing economy underlying the public pension plan, Social Security, then things are okay. We, there can be some changes on the margin in terms of payroll taxes, but that's what's needed there. Economic growth isn't everything. We, we've done episodes recently on the difference between economic growth, output, and well-being, how abundant our life is. Is it full of those basic goods we discussed? Do we have health? Do we have friends, community? Do we commune with nature? Things that don't really have a price. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about the dependency ratio because I can see that over the years and over the decades, productivity has increased and there's enough for everyone. Social security is incredibly valuable. It's not going anywhere. It might need some adjustments in terms of the tax rates or some of the benefits, but the vast majority of retirees depend on it and a very, very large number depend on it for most of the retirement. But that public pension plan needs to be supported by the private sector, a dynamic economy. And we participate in that by investing in our 401k. We contribute capital that companies can use to increase their productivity, increase technology. We do it through bonds and we do it through stocks. Now, once a stock is issued by the company, then it trades on the secondary market. Not every time we buy a stock on the stock exchange, the money does not go to the company, but it did initially to raise capital. And then that ongoing publicly traded company passes some of those profits in the form of dividends. And as earnings grow, the dividends grow. Of course, some companies don't pay dividends. Eventually they will. But that's capitalism. And it supports a public pension scheme that isn't dependent on the stock market directly for its returns. It needs to be separate so that it can benefit from its power to create money out of thin air. And its support of a private sector economy, support of investing in basic science. Make sure there's infrastructure in place, working together the public sector with the private sector. And if that private security scheme, privatized social security would have been put in place, and so we had trillions of dollars going into the stock market, I'm not sure what stock returns would be. With all the money going in, that demand for stock, potentially the price to earnings ratio of stocks would be higher but the dividend yields would be lower. We don't know. And potentially the yields on corporate bonds would be lower because there's so much demand to purchase those bonds. We don't know. I'm glad it didn't get implemented. We don't have privatized Social Security. I prefer the public plan along with private savings. We need both. That can allow us to live a, a rich and, and meaningful retirement. That's episode 441. Thanks for listening. I have loved teaching you about investing on this podcast for over nine years. Some topics, though, are just better explained in writing or with a chart. And that's why we have a weekly free email newsletter, The Insider's Guide. In that newsletter, I share charts, graphs, and other materials that can help you better understand investing. It's some of the most important writing I do each week. That's why I spend a couple hours on that newsletter on Wednesday morning as I try to share something that will be helpful to you. If you're not on the list, please subscribe. Go to moneyfortherestofus.com to subscribe to the free Insider's Guide weekly email newsletter. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation, not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.